Morning, Door Creek. Good to be together. If you're a guest here, my name is Mark, one of the pastors, and I'm glad that you joined us today. <clears throat> so if you uh, got the uh, note from Mark, there was a vlog and there was an attachment. If you didn't get it, it's because we don't have your information, so fill out a communication card. But one of the things that we shared was the annual report and just a lot of great information in there to encourage us as we seek to be a Christ-centered church for all people. There also was a matter of concern that I'd like to just bring to our attention for those of us who call Door Creek our home. So you may have noticed in the financials that we finished last year's uh, budget just $55,000 short of covering our expenses. We were short not because we overspent, we were short because we didn't quite meet our commitments. We started the new year, you may have been here that weekend when I said our typical pattern is we fall behind and then play catch up. And I said, so let's not do that again. But apparently muscle memory is really ingrained and we did that again. And so we're actually very much behind the eight ball, as they say. And I would say in the nine years that I've been here, this is for sure the lowest that I've ever seen our undesignated cash balance. So that would be, we've got other cash, but it's designated for like the boomerang's income goes to community outreach or benevolence gifts goes to people in need. But undesignated cash down to 50,000. And uh, so we're, we're considerably behind, 6% behind on the budget. And again, we're holding our expenses 100,000 below, but we still have this gap. So I, I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, one is, we have a great group of staff that serve our church and the community and partners around the world. I get to work with them day in and day out. Just a tremendous group who love Jesus, who are all about his mission, and who really are faithful, good stewards, and great team members whenever we have this kind of, hey guys, we're a little short right now on income, and so we need to rein it in. They, they always embrace that with great spirits and attitudes. And as I was thinking about it, there's a sense where our staff has been a little hand-tied for a, a lot of the ministry years going back now. And I was comparing it to you and me opening up a restaurant. We got, we got this great idea. We got a great location. We got a great venue. We've hired the best chef. We've got a great kitchen staff. And we, we only have enough money to like order half the food. We're in trouble. And uh, that's what we're in right now relative to the day-to-day -day ministries. And what's good for you to know is kind of a big picture. So I hope you don't get lost in a glaze of numbers, but maybe this would be helpful. There's about 2,300 families. That would be an, an individual or a family that are part of our database. So let's just throw out a couple hundred because those are always iffy, right? So let's just say we have 2,000. We have uh, 900 that are part of the regular giving of the church, at least last year. Uh, so far this year, about 600 have participated to help us meet our commitments and further Christ's mission. Now, here's the encouraging news when you think about this, because you could do the math and go, oh my goodness, 600 out of 2,300, that's not a great participation percentage. But here's what I get excited about. So we have 2,000 families, let's say, who are part of this place. If we 
earn the equivalent of a family of four at the poverty level, which would be 24,000, and we tithed on that. That is, we gave 10% of that 24,000. That collectively, these 2,000 families would give almost $5 million, $4.8 million. We plan to spend 2.8 this year. Do you get the math? That means an extra 2 million to pay down our mortgage, to pursue other ministry opportunities. Now I work the number through the uh, Dane County average household income, 60,000. I know what you're saying. I don't make 60,000. Average income, all of us together, 60,000, 2,000 of us. That's $12 million giving potential at a tithe rate. So that means we cover our roughly $3 million budget. We pay off our $7.5 million loan and we start having this wonderful conversation together, praying to God. So how are we going to use the 1.5 million, Lord? How are we going to do that? So I get excited about it. So what we're going to do here is just kind of take a break from Corinthians. We're going to come back. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Hey, wait a minute. I've been reading ahead. And chapter 11 is really hard and confusing. And you're just pulling a fast one so that RD gets the passage. <laughs> So, no, head coverings is mine. We're coming back to it. And uh, you won't want to miss that interesting passage on women wearing head coverings in church. But we're going to take a break, and we're going to do this series called Contagious Generosity, which, to be sure, is all that God has entrusted to us, not just the monies and the wealth that we have, but our time, the relationships, the gospel, and all the rest that makes up for a generous life. Um, so we're going to take a break, and what we're going to do is today we're going to look at the barriers to generosity, focusing primarily on financial generosity, and then we're going to come to the heart of generosity, and Jesus teaching about you cannot love both God and money, and where your treasure is there, your heart will also be, and then we're going to look at the paradox of generosity, this wild paradoxical truth that Jesus brings to us when he says, it is more blessed to give than receive. And we're going to go, how in, the, how in the world can that be true? Why is that true? So that's where we're going. And so I have to just say um, a little disclosure here. It's the kind of subject where you may be going, oh, I picked the wrong week to visit Door Creek. Um, it, it, it's one of those subjects that induces guilt and raises a fair amount of tension, not just for you, but for us, for me as a preacher. I can almost hear the words. There you go again. Man, they're always talking about money at Door Creek Church. Now, I don't think a lot of people say that, but I've heard that. And I, it's really interesting to monitor your own heart. And what I'm monitoring as I come to this series is emotionally, not with my will and my mind, but emotionally, I feel myself shying away and drawing back, going, oh, come on, let's just do head coverings. Let's just take the hard 1 Corinthians 11 and, and let's just skip it. And let's just pray that God will move God's people. Uh, I'm not gonna do that. And it's my responsibility to bring these things to us. But the things that I'm bringing to us are, are far more than kind of the, the balance sheet of our family's budget. It's really all about our discipleship and growing as devoted followers of Christ. 
Because money for Jesus is always a spiritual issue. He does not let me separate my wallet, how I treat money, think about money, from my heart. I'm also concerned about people, maybe you guess, or someone who's new here going, oh, I knew it. This is just like those people I see on TV, and that's all they do is they just pitch and pitch and pitch and for money, money, money. And I don't want you to get confused into thinking that's what we're on about. We're on about Christ and his mission and a personal relationship with him that transforms every area of our lives, including finances. But I, so those are some of the tensions. Those, those are some of the emotions I have. My um, guess is that some of the emotion that's out here in the audience today is Wow, really? Come on. I'm part of the 622 that faithfully give here. Like, what, you, what more can I possibly do? And I want to say to those of you who are faithfully supporting, thank you. And let's continue to grow in this area. I don't ever want to get comfortable as I think about my attitudes towards money. Because I know the day I get comfortable, I'm probably losing the balance here of where I need to be. I think there's a bunch of us who feel feelings of guilt. You want to give or know you should give, and it hasn't happened. And frankly, there's nothing like money to bring a lot of stress. You don't have to be married to experience it. You can be single and just trying to figure out how's this going to work. It was interesting to catch up with Dave Ramsey and uh, looking at his website and some of the things that he's written, he's the guy who heads up Financial Peace University. It's a great ministry that we're connected to here that's really helping lots of people get a budget, get in control of their finances, finding financial freedom, conquering debt, moving towards generous giving. And he says, you know, here's the new normal in America today. Normal means we believe we always will have a car payment. Normal means... <clears throat> We have no money in the bank for an emergency fund. Normal means we have student loans that have been around so long, as he puts it, we think it's a pet. Uh, so I read this statistic. The class of 2015, the average debt school loan is 35000 now. It was just like a couple months ago, it was twenty, thirty-five thousand. The last thing he mentions, what's normal is, we're up to our eyeballs in debt. So normal, he says, means we're broke. And so we want, to, we want to pursue this whole topic. So today, the barriers. And before we get into that, let me just ask God to help us right now hear this good word. Lord, we, we, we confess um, that for some of us, this is just uh, a subject that just raises a lot of tension. And uh, we, we don't want to listen to our emotions right now. We want to listen to your word. We want to believe that this is a good word that is meant for our good. And so may we hear it. May you move our hearts to align our lives with your word that we might know the blessing and the joy of walking in obedience and taking you at your word. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. So I, there's a whole bunch of barriers. So I'm, I'm picking, okay, a little selective. 
And when Artie gets into the heart of it, next week there'll be some more that we'll be saying about things that keep us from being generous. So I'm, I'm gonna mention three. I wanna talk about consumerism. That's the external, the internal dynamic in our own hearts is greed, how those work together. I wanna talk about fear. I wanna talk about our own ignorance on the subject. So consumerism is this external dynamic. I'll call it, it's the air that we breathe if we're living today in North America, in America, in our culture, in, in most of many places in the first world. It's the air that we breathe. We, we buy this lie that says this, unless I have X, Y, and Z, I won't be happy. Without it, I won't be successful. These are the things that I need to be secure, to find meaning and happiness in life. And so if you think about it, it's everywhere. So it's plastered on the billboards as we're driving around town. It comes over in the spots on the radio. It's popping up on our computer screens. It's in the papers and the magazines that we read. I mean, the advertisers are so clever that they actually have us buying their materials that have their brand and logos on it to do their advertising. And we think it's all great. So this is the air that we breathe. This, hey, we deserve this. This is the stuff that makes us happy. We should be happy. And so get as much of it as you can. Even if... You end up putting it on a card because you don't have the money to pay for it. And that's the other part. When we buy the lie, we start buying these things with money we don't have for things that ultimately we don't need. It's things that we want to impress people that we don't even know, right? So we buy these things and it leads us into this stranglehold of debt. So here's a statistic. I didn't, I didn't get the nuance here. So you look average debt in America, credit card debt in America, that's the wrong number because that's taking everybody who has a credit card. A lot of people don't have debt. That is, they pay it off every month. For the people that have credit card debt, listen to this, it's $16,159 average credit card debt at what percentage? That's a big deal. So... Consumerism is the external dynamic. Greed is the other, and it's subtle. So I was talking to friends this week saying, talk to me about barriers. So one of my friends said, well, it's easy for me to think when it comes to my money that this is what God has given to me for me to enjoy, for me to meet my needs, for me to find happiness, for me to be content, for me to realize the dreams that I have, and I forget it's not just about me but I get lost in that. So that's consumerism in a quick flyover. Then there's this matter of fear. I kind of think this might be the biggest one. So if I give to God and I give generously to others in need, I'm not sure that I'm gonna have enough to cover my needs at the end of the day. That's the fear factor. And tied with that is this control thing. So we become controlling about this which is ours, we think, our money. And, and, and we want to control it. And giving it away is a loss of control, and that's not a good feeling. I want to be in control of this because it already feels a little out of control. So I'm gripping a little harder. 
One of my friends said, I tend to have this scarcity mindset that drives the fear. So I look at my resources and they're limited. I look at the risks for my resources and I know they're real. And my focus is all on my limited, risk-prone resources. And I don't look at God who is infinite in his supply and he doesn't face the risks that I face. And so I develop not an abundance mindset because I'm focused on God who owns it all, but a scarcity mindset because I've made it mine and I've drawn the circle around it. It's, that's mine. Some of the things that drive our fears. Then there's ignorance. So there's ignorance at a number of levels. So whose money is it? So when you think about it, we, we've got our name on our, you got paid this week, it was on your paycheck, and your social security number was there. You own a car, it, your name's on the title. You know, you own your house, you did the Dave Ramsey thing, you paid it off, your name, it's, it's on there. Our name's on a retirement account, our investment accounts, right? So our name's on stuff, and so it's easy for us to, to, to lose sight of whose it really is. So we're ignorant about that. There's ignorance about what God teaches in his word. And I feel that responsibility as your pastor to help you understand not what do I think about it, not what Door Creek thinks about it. What does God's word say about money, our attitudes, how we're to hold it, whose it is, the attitudes that go around it. And then finally, I think there's a lot of ignorance and so how, how do I move from, I know what God's word says, I believe it's a good word, I actually want to do it, but man, I'm stuck. I actually can't go from knowing it to wanting to do it to actually doing it. You know, think of exercise, think of diets. I mean, there's a lot of areas like that in our life. We, I, uh, how do I do that? So we want to talk about these things as we turn to God's word. So grab your Bible, Luke 12. We're going to look at a couple of passages. So Luke's gospel, <clears throat> we'll catch up with Jesus on the subject. First in verse 15, as you're turning there, listen to these words. It's up on the screen. Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So he's going right after this lie of consumerism that tells us this life is all we have. We deserve to be happy. And stuff makes us happy, gives us meaning, significance, all the rest. So go for it. We deserve it. And Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard. Protect yourself from this. Generous stewardship does this very thing. Life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. So here's the deal. One of the things that we're going to understand from Psalm 24 is everything we have is from God. So these are gifts from God. These are blessings. We maybe use that word, blessings from God. So he asks us to hold those blessings with an open hand. And the minute we do this, mine, then actually the very things that are meant to bless us become a liability and they sour 
and they actually become something that can bring great harm to us. In fact, that's the point that Paul makes in 1 Timothy 6. Look at verses uh, 6 and following through verse 10 on the screen. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation. Not those who are rich. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not the root. A root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. And so when we think about greed and consumerism, one of the things that we need to connect here is contentment breaks that cycle and moves us towards generosity. And you take the twin pair of contentment that usually has this twin expression of gratitude, then you're on the journey towards a generous life, generous giving. So contentment today leads to generosity going forward. How do I know, how do you know if we're content? Well, one place is to just take those Visa card statements and go, how many of these things did I buy that I really don't need? How many of those meals did I eat? Because you know what? I was just a little stressed out and that was just kind of an easy way. How much of this stuff did I buy? Just because I needed to shop because that's kind of a fix for me that just calms me down. And so you go, okay, am I actually spending more on things I don't really fundamentally need than I actually have money for? So my credit card, my checking account, I know a lot of us don't even have that. But anyways, we look at that. That's giving us an indication. My level of debt, is it going up? Where's my gratitude? Is it going down? And is my gratitude going down? Is my grumbling going up? That's a sign. Do I find myself coveting? So I'm looking at stuff that belongs to other people going, I wish I had that. Those are signs of a restless heart for me and for you that we're not truly content. Scripture warns us here very clearly. It's a trap. It's the root of all kinds of evil. It is truly a spiritual liability. That's so weird to think about. Our wealth, and we live in the wealthiest country in the whole world, Our wealth is a spiritual liability. That was the point last week. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 6? You guys are going to go into the land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to drink from wells that you didn't dig. You're going to have the food from the vineyards that you didn't plant. And you are going to be content and satisfied. And in that day, you are going to forget me. Remember the quote? Affluence leads to spiritual amnesia. The Bible is consistent in saying that, that money is a spiritual liability. And the best way to make sure it's an asset is to hold it like this, remembering it's all his and getting on with his mission as he calls us to be stewards, not owners. All right, so let's go to the fear. Let's go to the fear barrier. 
<clears throat> Turn to Luke verse 22 of chapter 12. You're already there. 22, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, whether you're going to have enough at the end of the day. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life since you cannot do this very little thing? Why do you worry about the rest? Then he goes on to talk about the wildflowers and how they don't compare with Solomon's splendor. Doesn't it compare to them? Verse 29. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. Oh, that's a really profound truth. God knows who you are. He knows what you have. He knows what you don't have. He knows what you need. Your father, your father knows. Your father knows. Seek first his kingdom and all these things that we worry about will be given to you as well. So I caught up with some friends and was hoping to show um, a, a video today on this, but it's actually going to be on our website. So just go to the web page. It says Contagious Generosity. You can click on that tomorrow. Mike and Lynn. Mike grew up in Kenya, and he uh, grew up in a religious home, but came to faith in his teens, and uh, he started trusting God in this whole area of giving a tenth. But what we don't understand, this is a so cool dynamic in Africa, is as the oldest son he had all these responsibilities for his family. So he, he got a good education, got a good job, and then he's going, how am I gonna, if, if I give to you, Lord, what if I can't help with one of my brothers and sisters' tuition? My parents are counting on me, and I, this is a big deal in my culture that I honor these things in our culture to care for my family. And he talks about working through this whole area of fear. Jesus basically says, all right, take a deep breath, Mark. You're nervous about the future, and if you're going to have enough, just take a deep breath, put on your jacket, and take a walk. And just listen. Do you hear any birds? I take care of those birds. Lift up your eyes. You see any migrating flocks? I, I've got those too. I've got them all. All of them. His eye is on the sparrow, right? There isn't a sparrow that falls that God doesn't know about. That's a profound truth. When I take that God takes care of these birds who are completely dependent upon God for their life and my life is worth far more than theirs and he knows me and he knows what I need. My blood, when I get my eyes on God, see, then I move from this, remember the scarcity mindset here to a God who, who owns it all, who knows me, cares for me. My blood pressure begins to just go down. So the commands are profound here in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Listen to them. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain 
But, here's the command, put their hope in God, trust in God, who richly provides us, not adequately, richly provides us with not some things, with everything for our enjoyment, for our joy. Oh my goodness. Who richly provides us with everything for our joy. The things that we're chasing with the money we don't have to find this joy are found in a relationship with God. There's a second command, verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So trust God, not money. And we know we're trusting God when we start living generously sharing willingly, giving generously. I can't assess my faith, my relationship with God apart from this. So if I'm not trusting God, I don't have a strong faith. It doesn't matter how many years I've gone to church. It doesn't matter how many places I am serving in this church, through this church, around. If if my money's not in the game, I don't have the kind of faith that I need and long for. That's what he's saying. You cannot separate these two. Generous living and giving is connected to strong, vital, spiritual faith in God. So we conquer fear with this bold, generous trust, eyes on others, and we're just going to go, I'm taking you at your word. I'm taking at your word. I'm scared to death, God. I'm taking you at your word. And I'm so hoping some of you will do that and begin that journey that is transformative. I was walking out. lady came up to me. I'm visiting Family, just was here from St. Louis. Thank you for your message. I just want you to know that my husband and I went through just a complete financial collapse. It was tied in with taxes, the IRS. She didn't go into it, but we got on to tithing and taking God at his word as tithing, and it completely has turned our life around. And I want to just thank you. And this is the fight of faith. It's like we know what God's word says. Trust me for this stuff. And we're going, I don't know if I can. It's so scary. I don't know if I can do this. All right, final barrier that we're going to look at from God's word is ignorance. What does God's word say? We've already talked about this. The earth is the Lord, Psalm 24, verse 1. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it, there isn't anything that you and I have. There isn't a square inch of this universe where God hasn't taken out his sharpie and said, mine, it's mine, all of it his. We go, wait a minute, I work hard for my money. Uh, The scriptures anticipated that rebuttal. Deuteronomy 8, you say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Verse 18 of Deuteronomy 8, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he, not me, who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. 
So the implication is we're stewards, not owners. Everything that we have has been entrusted to us and our job is to be faithful to what God wants us to do with that money, those resources, my time, his love, grace, mercy, justice, all the things that he's given to me in Christ that I move forward to others in this world. Let's talk about the first fruit offering and the tithes. So the first fruit offering was this principle where people honored God by setting aside the first of the ingathering of the harvest. So right now, I live out in the grove, and every now and then, like last night, I'm going home on Vilas, and, and there's a tractor pulling a big old hopper full of, and they're going to the granary. So the, the whole principle here is you honor God with the first fruits. Look at it in Proverbs 3, 9, 10, with the first fruits of your wealth. And then your barns, here's the principle, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. So here's the idea. You give to God off the top, not the leftovers. So this is really practical. You're building a budget. You go, what's a budget? We need to talk. All right, so your budget is your plan of how you are going to be a faithful steward of what God has given you. So here's what we make. The first line of the budget is, this is what I'm giving back to God. It's the first fruits. What we practically do a lot of times is, God, you know I want to do this. So I'm going to work the pile right now. And if there's anything left at the end of the day, you get it. So first fruits just flips that all around. Because see, here's the deal. The first fruits represents the whole crop. And it's this complete act of dependence upon God. And and it's saying, look, there's no guarantee that I get it all in, but I'm trusting that you're God, that you love me, you're going to take care of me in obedience and expression of my love to you. In faith, I'm giving these first fruit offerings above the tithes. So what were the tithes? The word tithe means a tenth. So we think, oh, the tithe in the Old Testament was 10%. You think that's right? Well, actually, there was like a tithe that went to the priests and the Levites. These are the guys, when they divvied up the land, they didn't get land because they're working at the tabernacle. They're going to work in the temple when David builds it, right? And so all the other tribes have a responsibility to bring in a tenth so that those guys, the priests and the Levites and those who attended the worship of God and the learning of God, they had, they had enough food. Then there was a second tithe, another 10% each year. Now we're up to 20. That second tithe was so that they could have these great religious festivals and feasts that would bring the people together and they would eat and they would worship God. Then there was a third tithe. Every three years, they'd have a tithe for the poor, for the marginalized, the aliens, the refugees, the widows, the orphans, and they'd give a ten, another 10%, but that's over three years, so that's only 3.3. So 23.3333, right? That's every year, every year. So there's only one place in the whole Bible that God uses this phrase, test me in this. And it's about tithing. And that is such the right word, isn't it? For those of us who are going, man, yeah, because prove me wrong. Let me show that I'm going to be true to you in meeting your needs. So listen to the verse uh, 7 through 10 of Malachi 3. Sometimes we call this the M3 challenge. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. You ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. So first fruits for the offerings, tithes, 
the 23%, right? You are under curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. What are are they doing? They're withholding it. Wow, have you ever thought about that? You're holding up God. I'm holding up God when we hold it back because it belongs to him. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. So this is, this is a principle. Don't turn this into promise or we'll start sounding like prosperity gospel people that bring all the promises of heaven to today. We get many of the tastes of heaven today, but we don't get heaven in its fullness today. So this is a principle that is generally true, not a promise that is always true and should be understood in this way that, oh, I give a hundred, so you've heard it, you've heard the guy on TV, you just send in this and I, I promise you, God's gonna give you this. You bring, you send in 10, you expect a hundred. You put in a hundred, expect a thousand. You put in a thousand, 10,000, right? You've heard that. But the general principle is true. And I could introduce you to hundreds of people in this church that goes, that's been my experience. That's been my experience. And that's been Lori's and my experience. That we can't outgive God. And the blessings aren't always financial. There's so many other ways that we count our blessings in life. He does this. This is God's word. Test me, he says. Let me prove it to you because I know you're afraid. So there's a principle that is tied to this as we turn to the New Testament, last scripture, that now moves from the activity of giving to the attitudes behind it. Some people miss the point and say the New Testament spends so much time on the attitudes, it tells us that the the principle of tithing is no longer. I I don't think that's true. Jesus had an easy point to rebut this this notion when the religious leaders that he confronts are actually so crazy about tithing and trying to win their favor with God by keeping the law that he says, you guys, you're tithing on your mint and cumin. You're tithing on your herb garden, but you're forgetting the bigger areas of the law like mercy and justice. He could have said, guys, you don't have to tithe anymore. Just be a cheerful giver. No, the attitudes continue to remind us that what we have in the Old Testament law, God keeps driving deeper, deeper in our hearts. So murder becomes hate, adultery becomes lust, and now this matter of giving becomes about our attitudes as well. Listen, verse uh, 6, 2 Corinthians 9, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And these are people who gave out of their extreme poverty. So what's the adjective that describes your generosity? 
begrudging generosity, reluctant, occasional? Is it a growing generosity? Is it a non-existent? Is it a haphazard? Is it delightful? Is it contagious? This is a journey. This is a journey. And that's why this ladder is up here right now, to kind of help you understand where you are on the journey and how to take the next step. For me, the journey started on Sunday mornings, the kitchen table. Remember, I've told you this. I got three sisters, Monique, Madeline, Miriam, and me. There were four quarters at the edge of the kitchen table. And those were for us to put in the offering. And I like to say, and this is a true statement, and on most Sundays it went in the offering. A few times I went down to the drugstore and bought a candy store, a candy bar. So I, I was being trained. I didn't know all, I didn't understand, but I, I was just being trained. This is what we do. It's kind of like this muscle, this kind of muscle memory with money. What do you do? You give it back to God. And my dad started telling me about we give a tenth back, and he modeled that. And my parents model a generous life of opening up their home, having missionaries stay, being kind to people, doing, so weren't perfect, but they were just modeling, right? So there was training, there was modeling, there was teaching, and then there was practice. I got a, I got a paycheck, and, and I tested God. And you know, when you're making a few bucks at the local grocery store, it didn't seem like that big of a deal. And then we got married. And we talked about it, Lori and I. And from day one, when she's working back to Travanol and putting me through seminary, and our food budget was $15 a week. I know, we, we grew up in the 1800s. Um, <laughs> you know, we did that. We did that. And, but it's a journey because it kind of went from this is what we do, it's discipline, it's the right thing. And then in, in, in past years, there's this growing like, I can't wait to give more. It's moving from, from discipline to delight. That didn't happen in a weekend. Like I didn't go to a Dave Ramsey weekend and all of a sudden, boom. It, it's a process, it's a journey. So I want you to understand where you're at in the journey. And then I, I want you to ask God to help you take that next step. Okay, so some of us have never been in the game. All right, so um, you know, a, a first time gift, that, that would that'd be a, a good Good thing to do. Some of us are occasional givers, right? So, you know, we walked by and, hey, I had a 20, threw it in the box. You know, that was a good day because most days I look at my wallet, there's more white stuff than green stuff, but occasionally we give, all right? So we got an occasional giver. Then there's a bunch of us who are intentional, right? We're intentional about our giving. So it may be a dollar amount, it may be a percentage, and this reflects that there's intentionality, there's a plan. We plan to give X amount, this percentage of our income. Some of us have moved up to that 10% tithe, all right? We're giving at the tithe level. And others of us have, have seen the tithe as a baseline, not like the goal that we strive for, but kind of a starting point that we continue to grow from. And we've, we've moved on to greater generosity. All right, so... Where are you? I'm not, I'm not on the ladder. We'll get on the ladder. I'm an occasional. We'll get to intentional. So here's what I'd say. If you're not, if you're not a giver, going to occasional is actually not going to be a great step for you in terms of growing spiritually. What, you, what we want to do is get to here. We want to get to intentional. So that means a dollar amount, or I would recommend a percentage. 
I think a percentage is, is a good way to do it. And then you start growing that percentage. And you get from three to five to eight up to 10. And you get here and you don't go, hey man, I'm good, right? No, this is like, this is, we, we can continue to grow. And continue to grow in this discipline of, of, of when I get more money that I keep living at what I need not on what I want so that I can give more away to people in need and I grow to greater generosity. And so here's what I want to say because I know fear is going to be the big thing to take you out of here going, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. So listen to me. And I've said this before. I've never had anybody take me up on it. You go here the next 90 days and you say, I'm going to give this dollar amount on a weekly. Whenever you get paid, it's a dollar amount, it's that percentage, up to 10%, all right? That if you get at the end of 90 days and go, that was the biggest financial mistake that I've ever made in my life. You send me an email and I'll have our secretary cut you a check and you get it all back. I wanna just take the fear factor right out of the game here. So I, I want you to trust God. That's your first step. I want you to take the next step. And I want you to create margin in your life so you get control of your debt. And I want you to take advantage of the resources in the church. We have financial counselors. They don't charge a penny to sit down with you as an individual, as a couple. Let, let us help you. We've got financial peace and all the things that are going with that. You can find all those re resources online under the giving tab, under the Contagious Generosity banner this week. Take advantage of those. There's a class coming up January 19th. Get in that. You don't have to be in debt to, to benefit from Dave Ramsey's stuff. So let's do this. Let me close with this story. So I asked the question, so what's helped you? What's helped you grow in generosity? So uh, one of my friends said, I grew up on a small farm and uh, my dad worked hard on the farm to provide for our family. He had crops, he had gardens, he raised some livestock. And my dad was so generous that I know that he gave away way more than he ever sold. So it was common that my dad supplied a lot of the food for the pastors of the church. We had a summer camp. He supplied a lot of the food for the summer camp. There were missionaries that would come and live in our community and he gave them food all the time. There was never a person that would come to our house that would leave empty-handed. She said, my friends would come and visit for the weekend at college and before they left for home, he'd fill up their tank with gas. Don't you love that, that farmers get their own tank of gas? <laughs> she said, you know, it just rubbed off. I was, it was just all around me. And it's such a beautiful thing to receive and to behold. That's been it. And we go, oh, I was I had a dad like, I was I had an example like that. And like, we do. We do, we do, we do, we do. That's what the gospel's all about. For God so loved the world that he gave the indescribable gift, his lavish grace and mercy in his son. Let's pray. So Father God, we bless you for your generous mercy and grace and love that all come to us in your son. Lord Jesus, your spirit is in us and we're preventing your spirit's work through us. And so grow our faith. Help us to hear the birds and to see the birds. 
Help us to believe your word to be true. I pray that you'd move people to take the test and see if it's not true. I pray, Lord, that you'd deliver people from this delusion that says, until my financial house is in order, I can't do it, that they would believe that this is how you get your financial house in order. I pray that you give them faith to believe it, that we'd be a growing, generous church, that we would have more and more the, the, the challenges and opportunities of figuring out, so what do we do with all that you've entrusted to us? We love you. We wanna grow and need to grow in this area. In Christ's name we pray, amen.